Given the global interest in developing state-of-the-art AI technologies, countries around the world have sought to articulate national AI strategies. An important part of these strategies is building up internal capabilities and talent, the engineers and scientists who will actually build AI systems, as well as facilitating adoption of novel technologies. In today's episode, we'll learn what Singapore has been doing on this front. My guest is Lawrence Liu, the Director of AI Innovation at AI Singapore, an organization that brings together Singapore-based research institutions and companies to develop AI products, perform research, create tools, and develop talent. Lawrence is himself an accomplished technologist and serial entrepreneur. He's brought his experience to bear on building AI talent within Singapore and driving adoption of AI technologies in businesses. You'll hear about programs such as the 100 Experiments, Singapore's AI Apprenticeship Program, and the Generational AI Talent Development Initiative. I hope this conversation offers some insight into what it's like to implement talent development and technology adoption initiatives. This is the Gradient Podcast, and I am your host, Daniel Bashir. If you enjoy these episodes, you can follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast episode. You can also follow us on Substack to get regular notifications whenever we release a new article, newsletter, or podcast episode. You can also find our online magazine at thegradient.pub, where we regularly publish essays by the sorts of people I interview on the podcast. And finally, if you enjoy the episode, it would mean a great deal to us all if you'd consider leaving us a review on whatever podcast player you're using to listen to this episode. It helps more listeners like you find what we're doing and helps us bring in more interesting guests for you to listen to. But now... Without further ado, Lawrence Liu. So Lawrence, one of our previous guests, Steve Miller, introduced me to the work that you've been doing at AI Singapore, where you're director of AI innovation, and you're adopting a lot of really interesting talent development and capability development programs at the national level. I'd love to start with establishing some context for this. But before we get into Singapore's context, I do want to understand a little bit more about you and your background. How did you end up working on AI Singapore? Yeah, okay. Thanks. Thanks, Daniel. So um, so I, I come from the industry and I've uh, been in large organizations, uh, smaller organizations, uh, all in the IT and, and tech space, telecom space. And the last couple of roles uh, I've been with was with uh, technology uh, companies. Some of them are, are relatively uh, new startups. Some of them are bigger startups. And uh, the last one was, so all the while I've been in high performance computing, open source analytics, uh, in, in a way we could call that uh, uh, machine learning. And uh, my last role uh, was actually with uh, Revolution Analytics uh, Enterprise R uh, company out of Seattle. I ran Asia for them. And uh, in 2015, we were acquired by Microsoft. So after that, um, 
you know, I, I basically hang around and, and uh, got a request from uh, the Singapore Government uh, uh, National Research Foundation to, to, to say, hey, you know, we are starting this thing called AI Singapore. Uh, you know, would you be interested to, to be part of it? So I, I came in and then took a look. I thought it was really interesting. And I contributed some ideas and finally um, they got the project uh, award uh, started uh, in uh, June, May, June 2017. And that's when I joined them uh, full time uh, as the first employee of AI Singapore. Yeah. Given that you spent so much time in Singapore's computing industry prior to joining AI Singapore, it seems that you'd probably be one of the best people to contextualize. What did Singapore's technology landscape kind of broadly look at when you were getting started with AI Singapore back in 2017? Um, 2017, um, at that time, already uh, companies, organizations were already very aware of analytics because prior, prior to that, from 2010 onwards, we were pushing and talking about uh, analytics and open source uh, uh, analytics uh, very much. And, and uh, we really engaged a lot of both private enterprises and government agencies, right? So there was a lot of interest in that. And when the AI wave or when AI became uh, uh, um, hyped up all again, uh, uh, that there was a lot of uh, interest in that. Um, and one, one of the unique things about Singapore is that <clears throat> um, it's one of those uh, countries that we have a lot of uh, big tech uh, uh, organizations, right? Basing their HQ for Asia Pac of Singapore like uh, Google, uh, Facebook, Microsoft. <clears throat> so there's actually a lot of technology uh, companies here and, <clears throat> and therefore uh, it drives a lot of uh, interest uh, uh, in the uh, ecosystem, right? For people to take up uh, tech jobs. So for the last, I guess, uh, 20 years or so, right? Uh, tech uh, uh, wasn't seen as a sexy job to do. Uh, but the last 10 years uh, with uh, data science, machine learning, uh, AI, uh, and you know, all the big companies coming to Singapore, it became very, very, uh, 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 it became a sexy and, and, and very uh, hot uh, uh, role to, to, to get into. Uh, so much so that I know, for example, our local universities here, they had to increase their enrollment like four to five times, right? Uh, over a short period of, of six to seven years. So a tremendous interest among Singaporeans and, and locals here to get into the tech space. And AI Singapore itself as a program has been part of Singapore's national AI strategy. Could you tell me a little bit more about the contours for, for that strategy more broadly? Okay, so AI Singapore itself, I mean, it was conceptualized probably uh, late 2015 and then uh, through 2016 and then by 2017 the paper was done submitted for approval got approved and and launched right in in may uh, so i helped in in some of that process the singapore national ai strategy actually came much later uh 2019 so by then uh, ai singapore already uh, was around for about two years we already had programs like our 100 experiments which help co-fund companies to, to undertake AI projects and apprenticeship programs and our Learn AI, our training programs for working professionals. 
uh, students and then kids. So by the time a lot of these programs was already in place, <clears throat> and I guess the government felt that, okay, uh, since there is really a demand for AI, not just from companies, but also from the citizens, let's have a national uh, AI strategy. And, 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 and all of us came together, uh, sort of created a strategy and, and try to bring more focus and try to get more uh, government agencies engaged into this whole uh, AI uh, um, wave. As you're saying, this really grew out of a demand. And I'm sure that as sort of heading AI Singapore and being with it from the beginning, you probably saw a lot of this firsthand. And so I'm curious for you how that maybe evolution looked. You mentioned that back in 2017, people were broadly aware of AI and analytics. And in a set of slides about AI Singapore recently, that cited a lot of statistics about pretty low business adoption of AI. So I think that a lot of what you've been doing with AI Singapore then is closing this gap, right, between there are businesses out there who are aware of what AI can do and maybe they want to use it, but the adoption isn't there. And there can be many different reasons for this. But I'm curious how you think about that picture of the, the demand that you were seeing and Singapore kind of rising up to meet it. Uh, yeah, so AI machine learning is something that uh, it's not something that, you know, any SMEs or, or government, government agencies can say, hey, I, I want to do, I want to adopt the technology. It's, it's not just a piece of software, right? So uh, adoption requires, uh, uh, if you want to bring AI into the, in the organizations and, and build an AI team, we require the talent, the budget, and so on. So it's not something that all organizations can do. So when we started trying to engage the ecosystem, uh, after a while, we figured that there's actually uh, four archetypes of, of uh, uh, adopters. We have the AI unaware, uh, the AI aware, the AI ready, and the AI competent. So you know this is actually what, what we call our AI readiness index or, or ARI. So the AI unaware are the typical uh, organizations, could be SMEs, could be departments in the larger organizations that have no idea or clue what AI is. And for these people, our goal is really to make them to move from AI unaware to aware. And that's usually through, you know, uh, some form of very light, uh, non-mathematical uh, training, right? Could be an hour, two hours, three hours session. What exactly is AI? Uh, let them understand that, uh, you know, AI is not, not here to, 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 to uh, displace you or, or make you lose your job, but it's really going to augment your day-to-day -day, uh, 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 task, right? To make you more efficient and more productive and so on. <clears throat> so so that, that was something that we needed to do to get more people aware of AI. And once we got to that stage, then that's when we started getting a lot of companies coming to want to start their AI journey and, and build AI products or solutions uh, uh, for, for themselves or for their customers. So once companies are AI aware and and if let's say I can get 90% of our SMEs to move from unaware to aware, where they are just smart, savvy users of AI, then I think you know we have done our job for the SME. It is not reasonable to expect all the SMEs to become AI ready. It is not reasonable to expect SMEs to learn how to program uh, in Python or to even hire and build an AI team. It, it does not make sense. What it makes sense is for them to know how to use 
uh, AI applications from ISVs, from AI solution providers, from the cloud, and, and so on. And just be very smart, savvy users of, of, of AI products and solutions. Now, so that, that probably will, will encompass 60, 70% of, of our organizations uh, in, in Singapore. <clears throat> and then for those who are AI ready, uh, what we want to do is help them to actually build an AI team. And typically, this will be the startups uh, or uh, uh, larger SMEs, right? Very tech-savvy SMEs. And if we look at the evolution of, of a lot of SMEs, uh, some of them have been around for you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, they are now the second generation or even the third generation of uh, uh, family members taking over the business. And they are younger and they're more tech-savvy and we're getting a lot of traction with this group of, of SMEs where the younger generation says, hey, I, I want to uh, digitize my father's business and, and move it into you know, using AI and so on. <clears throat> so these are, are, are the type of uh, organizations we are uh, working with. Obviously, we are also working with some of the larger enterprises and MNCs and government agencies that have always been big and always had a big IT team. Uh, have been doing data data warehouse data uh, 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 um, uh, business intelligence for the longest years, but now they want to move into machine learning and AI. So for for them, I mean, we we have programs like our hundred experiments and so on that will help them actually build the capabilities. So what what are the things that um, we feel that that uh, fundamentally the, the education system needs to change in, in how we train or, or reskill or, or pass skill. Uh, professionals to move into uh, the AI and machine learning uh, workforce is that a lot of training today is is focused on uh, studying the theory and then working on some very toy projects. Even if it's an internship model, the problem given to you is 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 something that the company is, is well. Uh, this is uh, not not critical enough. I can let an external intern to to do it because even if it fails, it doesn't matter. In, in, in the way we, we, we approach this is, um, no, I want to put the people that we are training, we call them apprentices, uh, to real-world problems. <clears throat> now, where, where do we get these real-world problems? This would be the 100 experiments, these this problem statements that come from the companies, right? Uh, they, they want to do, uh, they, they need, they have a big, they have a business problem that they want to solve uh, uh, with AI. Uh, and we actually so-called test them, right? hey, it's not free. We are not going to do this for you for free or uh, we are not going to provide you so-called cheap labor, cheap interns. It will, it will cost you 180K. AI Singapore, I'm going to put in 180K. You have to put in 180K and then we'll combine all our funds to actually build a AI team that will actually work on your problem statement for, for, for full time for seven months. So in this team, we will put in our AI engineers, we will put in the apprentices, uh, three to six of them. They are supported by a full-time project manager, supported by a full-fledged uh, ML ops team. So a real AI engine team that can actually deliver MVP uh, in, in seven months. And these engineers, these apprentices, unlike typical internships where people are working part-time and so on and studying, there's full-time Mondays to Fridays, nine to six. The apprentices typically, uh, they would, uh, they have to quit their jobs. So, uh, so that they can focus on, on really deep skilling, but, uh, to help them, uh, deal with day-to-day, -day, uh, cost of living, we actually give them a stipend of between 
3.5 to 5.5 uh, uh, thousand Singapore dollars per month. So it's not a cheap program. It's an expensive program to reskill, deepen the skill of plus skill uh, uh, Singaporean. <coughs> the other thing that 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 uh, we we one of the reasons why why the hundred E and apprenticeship program is so successful is that we only look for very passionate uh, people to join the apprenticeship. We test people who apply for the program, and we don't test them for computer science skills. Because to be a good data scientist, ML or AI engineer, you don't necessarily need to have a computer science background. You need to have love for data. You need to uh, be very passionate about it that you actually can learn things very quickly on your own. So we actually test them whether they can, uh, obviously whether they can code in Python and whether uh, they, they, they are able to build up a basic machine learning pipeline and can uh, ingest data, visualize data, clean the data, use the right algorithm and then do a prediction or classification uh, or regression uh, and then uh, explain the results. Those are the things that we test for. And uh, you'll be surprised, we only have about 20% uh, uh, computer uh, software engineers that, that come into the program. The rest, 30 over percent are engineers. Uh, and another uh, 21% comes from the sciences. That means someone who studied biology, physics, chemistry. And then the rest uh, will be people who have studied business, banking, uh, psychology. Uh, we even had a medical doctor that, that applied. So we're varied, right? And, and because of the way we actually uh, form this uh, apprentice uh, cohort, uh, it's... Uh, we, there's a lot of uh, domain uh, expertise in each cohort because a lot of them would have worked for a couple of years, some of them 10, 10 years, and they bring their, their, their experience into solving some of these problem statements that, that uh, we get from companies. And uh, unlike internships where you know, the, the students are detached from, from, from the university or from, uh, from the, from the uh, institute and then placed into the organizations, uh, the internship model was, was developed more to let students experience what working life is like. But for our apprentices, like I mentioned, some, most of them have already worked a couple of years, some 10, 15, 20 years. They know what working life is like. They, they don't need to experience that. Uh, so what we do is we actually hothouse them within AI Singapore for the whole nine months. They'll get in, they'll go through another two months of deep skilling where we uh, level out everyone's knowledge of uh, not just AI, but ML ops. So imagine right, you have an accountant or lawyer who could analyze data with, with uh, Python and so on. All of a sudden, say, hey, what is this thing called Docker? <laughs> what, what is this thing called uh, CICD? So they need to learn all of this right within, within the two months. And then uh, we, we, we sort of form the project team and then assign them to work on, on the seven months project for, for the industry. So we use real world projects to train uh, the apprentices. Uh, apprentices coming in are already highly motivated uh, professionals who have self-taught themselves enough to get into the program and they bring their working experience, domain expertise uh, to solve uh, the, the project and by the end of nine months, uh, most of them will get you know uh, one if not two, sometimes some of the better ones will get three or four job offers even before they graduate. It's great how you've organized this in such a way that it's really not an isolated experience, but the apprentices 
they're having to come together. And of course, they have the necessary component of mentorship, but they're also figuring out simultaneously, well, I'm not just doing an AI project on my own where I, I pull some nice, clean data set and sort of work things through until I get a prediction. I'm as you would in some of these business problems, having to deal with the messy real world of, well, the problem they're dealing with itself, but then also having to deal with a team and actually accomplishing their objectives. And I'm curious if you can tell me about any particular stories of apprentices who've gone through this program and objectives and things that they've worked on, stuff that they've delivered. So, um, I mean... Since we started, right, we, we have approved about uh, 130 projects and completed about more than, I guess, close to 80 projects uh, today. So a, a lot of projects and um, several that, that, we, that we can share publicly, uh, we, we, we can talk about that. So one of it uh, would be, uh, let's say, for, for IBM, right? So we, we did a project for, for IBM a while back and... Uh, this was for the uh, IBM factory QC team here in Singapore. And they wanted to predict what was the, um, uh, which items that they're selling may have very high return rates. So, so that means, you know, especially as a new SKUs, right? New, new products have been de developed. They start selling on the market and once you go into uh, mass uh, adoption, uh, certain uh, uh, design flaws may, may creep up and people start returning it for repairs and so on, right? So they want to be able to track that and predict, hey, is this a, a real design flaw or is this just a manufacturing defect, a one-off thing? So we actually built an AI model to predict that. And uh, it used to be that the, the, the IBM engineers uh, were only you know, able to analyze this data, uh, a couple of uh, uh, SKUs per day. But not only did we build the model, we even built an end-to-end -end pipeline to automate the whole process. And today, they can actually analyze thousands of SKUs at any one time. So, so that's been deployed uh, and, and, and gone live. Uh, the engineer who, who the apprentice, some of the uh, one, one of the uh, apprentices who worked, worked on that project uh, was actually a PhD in, in uh, uh, civil slash industrial engineering stuff so he, he you know he, he knows how to handle the maths and uh he, he later joined uh ai singapore so one of the things that you know what one, one uh so when ai singapore started i only managed to convince uh three three other friends to join me so we only had like basically three engineers plus myself you know, four engineers but uh we are now at a size of easily 30 40 engineers and more than 90 percent of them are actually apprentices that we hired okay so just to take a step back right before i tell you more stories about projects done in, in 2017 uh uh we, we i already know I, i'm supposed to do a hundred of these ai projects and therefore we, we went out and tried to hire engineers you have to remember in singapore we have google we have microsoft we have uh, meta and, and other uh, uh ai ai companies right uh, i had 300 resumes only 10 were Singaporeans. The, the rest were all uh, 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 applicants from China, India, Europe, America. So I said, well, if we are called AI Singapore, I cannot be 10% Singaporeans and 90% uh, uh, engineers from all over the world. I need the ratio to be flipped. Uh, but then I can't match the salaries of Google and, and Facebook here in Singapore. <clears throat> 
So that's 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 how we came up with the apprenticeship. So the gut feeling back then was, I think there's enough Singaporeans out there who are self-learning, self-directed learners, very passionate, learning all this data science, machine learning, AI on their own. If we can bring them in, convince them to join us, we create an apprenticeship program, convince them to join us, we will train them within two months and then put them onto a real project for seven months. That, that was really the genesis of how uh, the AIP started. <clears throat> and the gut feel turned out to be right. So there's actually a lot of people, a lot of Singaporeans, you know, always upgrading, always learning. And we managed to find this. And uh, today, our typical cohort size is anywhere from 25 to 35. On average, we take about three batches a year. So from all these batches, uh, we identified uh, those who are keen to join us. And then we make them offer and then they join AI Singapore. And that's how we slowly, slowly grew our team to, to you know, 30, 40 engineers today. So over time, we have trained like nearly 300 over uh, uh, engineers already. So going back to the story, so this PhD guy, uh, after the apprenticeship, uh, he, he was, I mean, he's good. Uh, and then uh, we made him offer to join us. So he joined us as uh, AI engineer and, and uh, uh, for a while, he, he actually even led the apprenticeship program. And after two years, because uh, all of us are given two years contracts, right? Uh, typical in, in the university. Uh, he left uh, and you know he joined the MNC and is now one of the lead data scientists uh, in, in that uh, organization. So that's just one example. Uh, another very interesting example is a, a dental uh, chain that we have, uh, QNM. Uh, they wanted to automate some processes. So when you go and see a dentist, one of the things that they will do, especially if you are a new, new uh, customer, is they have to do a dental chart. They'll do an x-ray of, of your, your uh, teeth, right? And uh, in Singapore, it's a requirement now that all these dental charts must be done and, uh, and where are all the problems uh, in, in your tooth and gums needs to be indicated on the chart. Uh, previously, it was all done manually by the dentist. Uh, takes the dentist 15 to 20 minutes. So they came to us and said, hey, can we use AI computer vision to uh, automatically detect what is the problem? So again, it was done through our 100 experiments. I put in 180K, they put in 180K. Uh, we had like three apprentices assigned to that project together with one AI engineer. And um, within seven months, we actually built that, that, that system up for them. And uh, they, 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 they were so happy with that. They actually made an offer to hire all three apprentices. Uh, they only managed to convince two of them to join them and, and you know, they, they joined. Uh, so I think about a year ago, they managed to get the local Singapore government uh, uh, approval because dentist is medical, right? So you have to go through a lot of regulations approval. They got it approved and now it's rolled out through their uh, about 150 dental uh, clinics uh, in Singapore and, and, and the region. And one of this I know is still with them. One has left and they are continually uh, improving and they have just come back to us for another uh, set of features that they want to do and we're happy to help them with that. So it sounds like you've achieved a lot of different successes here with the AI apprenticeship program for trained professionals. And going forward, I can see that you want to 
also solve this generational capability development program, right? If you were to, again, solicit applications in maybe another 20 years from now, your hope, it sounds like from what you said to me, is that a higher proportion of people who are looking to be part of AI Singapore or something similar are going to be native Singaporean, for instance. I think if, if uh, AI Singapore is still around in 20 years, I think we will have failed. Today, we have the apprenticeship because there is a group of uh, uh, professionals that did not get to do data, data AI machine learning at, in, in the university, right? So this would be people who have graduated, let's say, uh, last, uh, uh, did not, at least you know, 10 years ago. Uh, so, and this, this is actually a very big group that we want to make sure that they, they can get into the AI uh, workforce. But today, all the university students who are studying and will be graduating from, let's say, this year, next two years onwards, are already data literate. Uh, going through an AI course is like a requirement for all university students, whether you are studying nursing, whether you are whatever business, you have to do data literacy, you have to do machine learning and AI, at least understand what they are. I mean, you may not be programming Python, but they need, they need to know that. So I think moving forward, if I look forward uh, the next 10 years, we will have a new generation of professionals coming uh, in, into the workforce that are really data literate. They, they do not really need the apprenticeship program like, like what Singapore uh, has, right? And we will continue to evolve, right? We will we'll move up the value chain and so on. Um, so in terms of generational learning, that's why uh, back in 2018, 2019, we even created like, you know, AI for students, AI for kids. And, and I was just looking forward and, hey, uh, my apprenticeship program today, I'm only getting, let's say, three, 400 Singaporeans to apply. How do I make sure I, I maintain this pipeline? So I, I want to make sure that uh, as kids are going through, through schools, right, they, they become data literate and so on. And for some of those who did not get a chance to, to, to do uh, uh, AI uh, as undergrad studies and later on they decide to, to want to pivot to become an AI engineer, then the apprenticeship uh, program is there for them. So, uh, so we made sure that there were programs targeting um, uh, the K-12, the, 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 the high schools, the university students, uh, working professionals. But like I say, in the next 10, 15 years, I, I think uh, most students graduating would already have those skills in place. Uh, maybe there will have to be a modified version of AIAP to really, you know, someone, yes, they may have maybe data literate, maybe AI machine learning, learning literate, but for whatever reasons, did not choose to study AI as uh, in the computing school or engineering school and decide later that, hey, I really, really want to go in, then you know, a program like AIP will make sense. Uh, but I think 15, 20 years, uh, my hope is that AIP is not required. Then as a nation, uh, I think our whole education system uh, would have would be successful in transforming everyone to be AI literate. That does sound like a really good measure of success here, that something like what you're doing where it's it's almost a kind of patching, right? As you said, there are a lot of people out there who are already in the professional world and maybe they are data literate, maybe they don't even have that and kind of have to skill up on their own to get to that point. And so 
you have a lot of people who maybe are data literate or just aren't and have to self-skill to get to that point. And so that is really a problem you want to solve at this foundational level and get earlier and earlier. So creating these AI for kids programs, as you talked about. Thinking about this all at maybe a little bit of a higher level, we've spoken about all of these different things that AI Singapore is doing to bring business value, to upskill the local population, and how this kind of fits in with a national strategy for Singapore that was really driven by the demand that you're seeing. I want to understand your perspectives a little bit on Singapore's place, perhaps, within the global AI ecosystem. In the United States, we talk a lot about our talent development, our universities, our education in AI, and how that pertains to the U.S.'s place within all of the countries that are developing AI systems right now. And so I'm curious where you see Singapore within that ecosystem and how you think about AI Singapore and Singapore's national strategy, perhaps in those terms? Um, well, I mean, I, I can only speak from, from an AI Singapore perspective. The national strategy is, is driven by a different agency. But uh, where, where I see, and I mean, uh, there was a report by the Tortoise Group uh, uh, recently where, uh, you know, they ranked, I think US was number one in the AI arms race, followed by China. Singapore was actually ranked 10 in 2020, I think, or 2021. But 2023, we're actually ranked number three. So, so you know, they based on various metrics, right, like the investment into AI and so on. Um, now, AI is not new new to Singapore. Uh, when, when I graduated as an engineer, mechanical engineer, right, uh, I was really interested in AI. And... And uh, I actually went for a postgraduate studies in AI uh, in, in Singapore. And that was like in 1993, 94. And I wasn't the first uh, batch. The program has been running for the last five years. I was batch number five. And today, I think, you know, the, the program has evolved. It's still around. In fact, I just went back to give a, a, a one-hour talk on uh, generative AI just, just earlier this week. So, so AI actually has been... Uh, used by various Singapore organizations for, for the longest time, okay? Uh, it's just that now with everybody talking about it, especially now with generative AI, it's, it's, there's a lot of uh, uh, interest. It becomes very, very visible. Uh, uh, politicians like to be seen that, hey, they are really uh, clued in and, and so on, right? So uh, that's why, you know, we, we came up with... So AI Singapore itself was actually a research agenda, it was a pure research agenda when AI Singapore was created. Uh, it was only two years later that uh, uh, a national AI strategy came about because uh, uh, AI became, uh, uh, you know, the talk of the town. Um, and and where where I see Singapore vis-a-vis -vis, uh, uh, the United States or EU or, or even China, uh, Singapore, I think today uh, is very well positioned. Uh, we are very neutral. We attract a lot of large uh, organizations who are keen to build their IPs, right, uh, uh, to come into Singapore. So one of the things that the Singapore government has been able to do very well is to attract a lot of startups and MNCs uh, into Singapore, not just for AI, right, but for the last 40 years. And that's how uh, we have been able to grow our, our economy. Uh, we don't have natural resources. All we have is is uh, human talents. 
So what we have always done is to make sure that we have the human talent to be able to meet the next technological change or jump that is coming and therefore attract companies to come in and, and, and base their operations here, hire our citizens and, and so on. And we have very uh, friendly uh, business uh, regime. We have very friendly uh, uh, laws to allow companies you know, to start up here. I mean, you can basically start a company with $2 in, in under a day if you want, right? And, and um, it's, very, it's a very business-friendly environment. So from, from an AI perspective, um, we actually have a lot of very interesting uh, uh, AI companies that is based or started from, from Singapore. And I, I saw recently uh, on, I think, Crunchbase or something, one of those that list uh, companies and their money they're raising and so on. And I think you, you know, in AI, I'm sure you're familiar with Langchain. It lists Singapore as the company that, that they, they, are, they, they started with. So that means Langchain, you know, when they incorporate or whatever uh, name they call it, uh, is actually here. So I guess the founders and, and so on uh, are based out of Singapore. Uh, so we have a lot of uh, very smart people uh, relocating uh, into Singapore to, to, to do their startups. So Singapore has, has a play. Now, I mean, we, we are not a large country. We will not have the data sets to be able to train like what the US or the China can do, but today with a very global uh, nature of things, right? Uh, as long as the data is, is available publicly uh, and within the, the realms of, of copyrights, uh, you know, uh, uh, AI companies can, 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 can get access to it. I think the restriction is more of talent, uh, not so much of, of access to data. I mean, if you raise the right amount of money, you can always buy the data sets, but you still need to have the talent. And one of the unique uh, characteristics of Singapore is that it's so friendly to business and for people to come in. So if, let's say, uh, I'm a US company, do I want to place myself in the region or place in Singapore? In, if I place myself in Singapore, not only can I hire the best uh, uh, US or Europeans to come into Singapore, I can hire the best Chinese, for example, to come into Singapore because you know, they have great, great uh, intellectual uh, uh, powers. So it is a very neutral uh, country uh, to have a great uh, uh, AI startup. Another question I have for perspectives kind of at this level, and I know, as you said, you can only speak from the AI Singapore perspective, but since you brought up the visibility that generative AI systems have brought to AI in general and probably what you're doing, how has the generative AI chat GPT boom affected things in Singapore? I think the Singapore government was probably one of the most uh, uh, proactive users where we had governments, uh, other governments trying to uh, stop or ban uh, the use of chat GPT. We actually have Singapore governments going to strike out deals with Microsoft slash OpenAI to say, hey, okay, I want a private instance. I, I want uh, to, to enable all my government uh, officers to have access to this capability. So within a private instance where our data sets do not get uh, uh, used by OpenAI for, for retraining and so on. So it's a very secure environment. So there's a lot of uh, activities uh, around that space. So the government is really leveraging uh, foundation models. 
uh, even within AI Singapore, uh, one of my peer, uh, the team that he's leading. Uh, so I, I started that team uh, with uh, uh, the, the, we call it a makerspace, and it was to really build AI products uh, for use uh, for, for the SME, right? And one of the effort that we did uh, the last, uh, uh, from 2018 to about, uh, I guess, 2022, 23, uh, was to build uh, NLP for the ASEAN languages, right? And, and then when, when LM came on board, uh, we hired someone who could focus on this team full time. And then now the team is building a LM for the ASEAN languages. So, so uh, working very closely with all our neighbors, right? So I think that's one of the value proposition uh, that, that, you know, as, as AI Singapore, we can bring not just to, to benefit Singapore, but to, to help our, our neighbors, right? Given that we, we have the talent, we have uh, the, 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 the uh, well, everyone doesn't have the GPU capacity, but we try our best. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, we, we, have, we have, you know, proceed uh, quite far ahead uh, in, in this space. Um, so uh, from, from a national perspective, um, that's some, some of the things that we're doing in terms of uh, generative AI. The government is very active. AI Singapore, we have, um, uh, we, we have uh, the LM effort that's ongoing. Within the 100E and the apprenticeship program, we are also leveraging generative AI to make uh, it more efficient to help scale up. So for example, and this I can share with you, uh, we get about three, four hundred applicants every time when we do a recruitment for the apprenticeship program. And of these 300, maybe 150 was actually because I used to review all the resumes and decide who will come in for the test. Uh, but now, as, as the court has grown, we say, OK, never mind. Uh, just give everyone who apply the test. Okay? Because we had complaints of, oh, why, why you think I'm not good enough? Why can't I take the test? OK, then we say, OK, never mind. No complaints. I'll just give everyone uh, the test and it, the test will vary from every batch. Uh, so when they see it, they say, oh, okay, I actually don't have enough skills. I will have to go and learn more and then they'll come back. So about half of them will actually submit. That means I get 100 to 150 uh, submissions. And my typically every batch, I will allocate about 10 engineers to 15 engineers to actually evaluate this uh, uh, submissions. So, you know, each of them will have to evaluate anywhere from five to ten submissions and decide which one actually pass and then they'll come for the interview so now we actually uh, will automate the task because one of the things we want to do is can we go from uh, 300 applicants to 500 600 or even a thousand applicants and i cannot have i cannot grow an engineering team just to do the evaluation right so so we automate that with lm and we actually uh, are going to test that uh, in a month's time so it has been done, tested internally. We are going to uh, try this for the AIP Batch 15 uh, recruitment. So internally, well, we help companies build uh, LLM or foundation models or Gen AI projects. Internally, we are also leveraging it to, to, to really uh, enhance our productivity. I like this. It's, I think in a lot of ways, the perspective that you've given about Singapore's sort of vision of its own place within the global ecosystem, but then also how you're approaching this whole boom is largely very positive. And what can Singapore do both for itself and for the larger APAC region, which I think is a kind of a refreshing 
difference from how the U.S. has articulated itself in a lot of ways. So I do like to hear that. I, I think as a final question, perhaps, and you've already answered this in parts, but maybe just to ask the full question. You've already done a lot, I think, as part of AI Singapore to really hasten um, hasten Singapore's development and its AI ecosystem. And it's really impressive, I think, how much you've already been able to do bringing Singapore to number three in terms of countries around the globe and, and their relative ranking as far as doing AI and really bringing more talent. But if you could maybe project forward, as you said, you think that AI Singapore probably should not exist 20 years from now if you've achieved your goal. Could you paint a picture perhaps of your hope for what the Singapore AI, the Singapore tech ecosystem looks like perhaps when AI Singapore dissolves? Uh, well, we did. I mean, in the next five to 10 years, I think there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, there's still a lot of people who can be trained who, uh, and we want to, you know, go from uh, two, uh, let's say, uh, 100, 200 per year to maybe a thousand to two thousand uh, professionals being trained, right? Really deepen their skills. So that's one of the things that, that, that we are trying to figure out how to do that over the next uh, five to 10 years. And, and by then, like I say, right, not only do we have uh, the current generations of professionals already able to take on uh, AI uh, uh, jobs, we have the new generations that are, are already ready for AI jobs and, and don't need us, right? So um, when, when AI Singapore finally dissolves, let's say, in, in 15 or 20 years' time, I, I think uh, not just Singapore, right? Most countries in the world would be very AI savvy uh, everyone uh, would be data literate. Uh, I always like to share, uh, you know, sometimes Hollywood has, has some of the most, uh, you know, they, they predict things very well. And, uh, and as a big Star Trek fan, right? And the day is coming where, you know, you can really talk to a computer and say, hey, you know, uh, can you analyze this data and analyze it, this with, uh, with step A, B, and C? So you're not really coding anymore, you are, but you still have to understand the fundamentals. You still need to tell the computer what you want, but you are interacting with it and, and, and saying, you know, let, let's do it this way. And you do the computation for me. And then, you know, it, it comes back. I think that that uh, will, will happen. Uh, uh, well, not the next three years, but probably within the next five to ten years. And, and what I'm expecting is <clears throat> the, the whole workforce will, will know how to use such tools. Such tools will be embedded into their daily daily uh, productivity apps where, you know, whether is it still called Word or PowerPoint or Google Docs, whatever. I mean, it's already going to be embedded. It's going to come out in the next six months, right? But more and more advanced tools uh, with more capabilities uh, will, will be coming on stream. And uh, my, my hope is that uh, the whole workforce will be able to make use of these this tools. They shouldn't be afraid of it. And I think uh, for myself personally, for my team and a lot of uh, the policymakers, uh, we, we view AI as, as a tool, as an enabler. And uh, one of you know, the statements I always like to end off my, my talks is that, you know, uh, whether you're an engineer or lawyer, right, you'll be replaced by AI. And then my next slide will show uh, engineer. No, you're not replaced by you replace You will be replaced by an engineer who uses AI. So I think we, 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 you know, I personally believe in that. Uh, and I mean, on a personal level, 
I used to write an article uh, once every quarter or so. Uh, today, I can actually write, an, I mean, the last couple of weeks, I've, I've written an article nearly every two days with the help of AI. So, so you know, the, the benefits are, are really uh, fantastic. Uh, and, and, well, there are risks. I'm not saying there are no risks. But, you know, if you listen to people like uh, Yosho Banjo, Yang Likun, we have time. We need to work on managing those risks. And uh, there should be probably some global body set up to look at the overall uh, risk of this sort of uh, AI. Uh, we should not have AI, you know, just in the hands of the big tech. So there are a lot of efforts going on, right, to make sure that uh, such technology is available uh, to everyone and no one is being held uh, uh, ransom to just one or two companies. So uh, where I see, you know, in the next uh, 20 years, um, uh, Singapore hopefully will be a big uh, user of, of such technology, such tools, um, because if we don't, uh, as a small country, it's just very hard for us to compete uh, globally. Indeed. Well, I think that's a really good set of perspectives and takeaways. It's very interesting to hear how you'd like the future to look. I think that idea that you won't be replaced by an AI system, but by somebody else who does the same thing as you, who is augmented by that AI system, is a sentiment that a lot of us can kind of share in. And I, I do really appreciate the perspectives you've given me during this conversation about developing talent and the national ecosystem. So I really appreciate the work you're doing. And I do want to thank you, Lawrence, for taking the time to speak to me today about all this. Yeah, um, most happy to. Thanks for, for the opportunity and uh, happy to chat again in the future when new things uh, comes up. And that is a wrap, my friends. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, you can subscribe to The Gradient on Substack to receive not just this podcast, but also our articles and newsletters directly to your email. You can also visit us at thegradient.pub, where you'll find all of that, as well as more information about The Gradient and how you could even contribute if you're interested. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate your feedback. If you'd like to leave a comment or review, we'd love to know how we can make this series more interesting and informative to you. And with all that, I'll leave you until the next episode.